Welcome to the Conversion Tracking Playbook, where we share how to overcome tracking challenges that e-commerce brands face today and real-world examples of transforming data into insights. Welcome back to another episode of the Conversion Tracking Playbook. I'm your host, Brad Redding, and today I have a very special guest, Andrew Ferris. We were just joking around how to do the intro. I'm just going to let you do it, so uh, take it over and uh, let everyone know who you are. Yeah, it's funny because my the intro is my least favorite part of my podcast. Like My podcast is like, I do some interviews, but it's mostly just me talking. And Same. Yeah, I could stand and talk. 20, 30 minutes on stuff, no problem and and feel pretty good about it. But I go to do the intro and it's like yeah. five takes because I just I just blow I just blow it every time. <laughs> so I'll try. Okay. So I I have been in e-commerce for a while. Um the big the big kind of bullet points in the last bunch of years has been I I came from the agency side of things working with e-com brands as the head of strategy at Common Thread Collective, which is a digital sales agency, digital marketing agency. So if, if you don't know CTC. And then from there, went over to 4x400, which was a holding company aggregator that was launched off of CTC. And so we had our own brands, bought very, very small brands, like sub half a, sub half a million dollars in, in TTM revenue, um, and tried to grow those really fast. Was there and eventually eventually ran that company as a CEO, um, ended that in December. And uh, that 4500 still going strong, uh, has changed the model totally. Going, we're, we're, we're bearish on the uh, aggregator model as, as time has gone on. So I stepped out of that and now am doing like growth consulting for brands. I think the way to think about what I do right now is sort of an outsourced VP of e-commerce for e-com brands. So I take on only a couple of clients. I'm not like building an agency. I'm not doing a big thing like that. I really like the work itself of growing brands. So I've been kind of working with just a couple of brands at a time, trying to really help them get their growth together. So yeah, that's what I do. Well, all right, that was good. Well, uh, so the reason why Andrew is on here, I listened to his podcast and I was joking, he actually came up on an episode a month or two ago when Matt from Enquirer Labs was on and we were talking about how to blend quantitative and survey data. And, and one of the examples that Matt shared from Andrew with how he implemented survey tracking and how he used that to uh, improve just marketing optimization through the uh, post-purchase survey. But anyways, there was a recent episode, Andrew, that you had and you shared your process of it was going back to the iOS and how to how to really measure performance of Facebook or potentially other app related channels today. They're iOS heavy, but basically how to measure performance now that we can assume that the data reporting inside of Facebook has somewhat equalized a little bit. But basically, how to use Google Analytics data, which is very heavy with our customers and many that are listening here. But how to use historical GA data and essentially benchmark or compare that to pre-post iOS Facebook data and help that drive decisions since we get many of those questions. But so that's why you're on here, at least one of the topics. So I'm going to hand it over to you and start. Uh, yeah, let's let's hear it. Yeah. So that episode you're referring to, I stopped short of saying Facebook ads is lying to you as the title because it was like, that's probably a little a little much. But and it's, and it's, of course, it's not really lying. It's just that it's still a challenge in today's world to get as much true Facebook data as you want. Now, I think Facebook's gotten a lot better over time since the iOS release. You know, we're over a year out from that now. And the dashboard is definitely, especially directionally, I think much more useful than it than it was at one point. But it's just not close to, I think, still probably where it was before. So, and, and one thing that people sort of just, I think, undervalue is that, that actually just j- even before you talk about 
iOS signal loss, which is its own problem. Simply moving from 28-day click attribution to seven-day click attribution as the maximum time window you have is a problem in itself because there's a meaningful lift in conversion revenue that's coming from day seven to 28. And of course, 28 days is actually kind of arbitrary too. You know, you work with clients that are higher AOV or something like I've worked with a furniture brand that's selling expensive furniture. I mean, the, the time lag, the, the path to consideration is long. For, you know, people don't just click and buy, you know, $3,000 so far or whatever. So at least I don't. <laughs> Maybe somebody yeah, with more money me than neither. me does. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, obviously um, that changes for every brand in terms of how much factor that is. But the point is like Facebook ads is never, is, is just not right now telling you the total value of your spend. It's, it's shorting it in some way or another. And for businesses, that's a real problem because- because you need to you need to know what your what it's worth. And what here's what I found. What I found is that people, whoever it is in your business that's actually in the dashboard, whoever those people are, are are influenced by the dashboard, even if they know it's not fully legitimate in terms of what it's reporting to you. So it's a problem because because if you get that information in front of you, the information is going to affect how you think about things, even if you know, you know the information is is not right totally or is not not helpful enough. So so that creates a challenge, I think, in a lot of ways. And so I had, I was working with a business that had actually turned off their ads for a couple months to try to figure out because they thought like their spend was returning really poorly. Um, and a lot of that was because of what Facebook was telling them. And so they're just like, man, we're losing money on this. We got to stop spending. It's bad news. And what I ended up doing to try to help them sort out what was going on, I actually, I actually came into a call with them. I was prepping this kind of it was the the project was sort of a one month consulting project. It was like, hey, look at our total business and tell us what to do. And about a week or two into sort of my my prep work for that for that call, I was fully uh, anticipating saying to them, yeah, your Facebook spend has actually never been profitable, and this is a problem for you. And and it was a good call to turn it off. But then I started digging around, and there was this problem, which is that their new customer revenue growth specifically new customer revenue. Like I'm a big believer that when you're running Facebook ads, something like that, what you want is to be attracting new customers specifically. And you should be trying to think about your spend's value in relation to new customer revenue specifically and not total revenue as much. So what I saw was this, this brand's new customer revenue had been up and to the right for like years. Like it was like everything looked really, really good. And um, the growth was coming along along the way. But then suddenly- Real quick, the new customer revenue, were you just looking at new customer revenue from Shopify, which is right, essentially yeah. source of truth? Okay. Okay, new customer revenue from Shopify has just kept going up and up and up. Yeah, it seemed like it was going really good, even though the Facebook data wasn't supporting that it was as good as, you know. And so so there's this question, which is like, where is this new customer revenue coming from? Like, it, you know, this this brand has, a, I would say, a, a moderate media mix in terms of its layers. Facebook, Google ads. Yeah, Facebook, Google ads. What they had was a bunch of organic search traffic, like a bunch. They had they had invested a lot in content. And so trying to figure out sort of how that traffic was becoming valuable, if at all. You know, and they had a reasonable, reasonably sized affiliate program as well. So, you know, it wasn't a crazy media mix, but it was enough to where you couldn't, you know, it wasn't super clear right away. So anyway, so as I was digging into that, what I discovered was that new customer revenue was going away. And and that's not too surprising, but it was actually going away. If you just took like sort of new customer revenue over Facebook spend specifically, like when they shut down or slowed down and then shut off their Facebook ads, it was the loss in new customer revenue was significantly more than the ROAS number would tell you. So like what I mean is, you know, if the ROAS number was like, hey, we have a one and a half in platform, right? So we're getting a dollar fifty for every dollar we spend, they were actually seeing like a loss of three to three fifty in new customer revenue 
as soon as they shut off their Facebook ads, like, you know, in terms of the, in terms of the incremental revenue loss that seemed to happen. So that kind of was like, wait a minute, something is wrong here. You know, this Facebook spend, and this is an older spend, by the way, before I think Facebook has gotten better about this. So Facebook, Facebook is constantly, I think, improving their modeling here. But the next step was to go into Google Analytics and look at sort of historic Google Analytics last click revenue. You, you know, you know that last click revenue in Google Analytics is underreporting the total value. It's not, well, it's not really underreporting. It's accurately reporting, but um, it's only reporting a slice of the value that, that your ads are creating because many, many, many people buy not on last click. And so the, the kind of key insight that I found that really ended up helping with the analysis was, and this is something I've now done for other brands since, is that there was a consistent relationship over pre-iOS time between Google Analytics revenue and Facebook revenue. And I think it was like Facebook revenue was reporting about twice as much on just a seven-day window, uh, twice as much revenue as Google Analytics showed. So you're taking Facebook source medium and Google Analytics was reporting, you know, a million dollars and and Facebook reported revenue was reporting two. Two, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so it would have been like Google Analytics was showing a million dollars, Facebook revenue would have been showing two million dollars. For most of the time, that was the basic relationship between those things with some variance depending on seasonality and all that kind of stuff. So, um, but but somewhere in that range, you know. And then what I and so then what I discovered over time, or or then then what happened after iOS fourteen was that those numbers got way closer together. And it wasn't because, of course, this is all UTM tracking in Google Analytics, right? So that shouldn't have changed at all. But suddenly, Facebook revenue was way closer to Google, Google Analytics revenue, and then I could spot check that against new customer revenue as well. And you put those sources together, and it told me like oh man, your Facebook spend is driving more purchases than you think. It's just not showing up in your dashboard. And so you made this decision that was actually kind of perfectly rational relative to the information in front of them at the time, in front of the, in front of the people. And then, you know, revenue went away. And so then they made another rational decision, which was to get another set of eyes on the problem. And so what can we do? And that's, that's what we discovered. So, and so now, like I have found that there's a lot of brands where this is the case. And this sort of relationship between GA and Facebook and new customer revenue matters. Now, like this, this creates challenges that GA doesn't always have a consistent relationship with these sorts of things for all kinds of reasons. But yeah, that, that ended up being kind of the, the thing that I've now gone and done since then. And it's been helpful to, I think, a couple of businesses to look at it that way. So I hope that made sense. Yeah. How can somebody just recreate that? Is it just a matter of going back two years in GA and taking yeah, revenue sure. by Facebook channel by week or by month? So just plot that out yeah. and then do the same thing from Facebook and then the same thing from Shopify? I think so. Like, so it's so like one of my big takeaways from all of this, and, and like, I think this is one of the ways that iOS 14 is making people better is that it's pe- helping people to think a little bit better about what their ads are actually doing. So and the first step is actually just to make sure your sort of Google Analytics hygiene is solid, which is like get your UTM tags in all the right places. Make sure that you have a consistent naming convention so that when you go through, sort through historic data, you can do that. So this is actually, a ma- I mean, I can't say how many times I, I pull up a GA account and it's like double. I've actually pulled up one that was quadruple reporting conversions. <laughs> and so like trying to sort out historical there was like, they had, they had I think, four GA tags um, on the site. And so it was just That's like- That's a new, I haven't heard four. I've, I've seen two, obviously, and three. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's a, word, it's a WordPress site and it was old and it was like, oh my gosh, it's just a mess. So first of all, make sure your GA is tracking correctly. Um, you know, the, I'll just tell you the two telltale signs that something is wrong. One issue that you should always keep an eye on is if your bounce rate is preposterously low, like if you're like sub 10% bounce rate, 
that for sure means you have some kind of double tracking going on. Your, your bounce rate's not actually that good. And then, yeah, if you see like a, a conversion rate that looks much higher than other sources are telling you, that's typically a, a problem that you're double tracking for you know purchases. So, so check that. And then make sure you have a consistent UTM naming convention. Get those on all your Facebook ads. Facebook actually makes this really easy. You could you basically insert it dynamically into your ads. Just there's like a little box you can put in and it goes into all of them. I just end up, when I create new ads, I just duplicate an old ad so that I just maintain my consistent convention. You can dynamic tags, it works great. So um, you do that. This, this requires oftentimes, because people haven't done this before, some historical digging around your like other channel in Google Analytics a lot of times um, to go sort this out. And again, I would go and you can change your channel grouping in Google Analytics so that you get a default channel grouping, change other into paid social or whatever. So anyway, that's a whole other thing. But that's that's the step one is to go to the Google Analytics hygiene that you need to do. And I actually don't know what this looks like in GA4 yet. I haven't gone and done it there, but um, it'll be a new problem there. Very complicated. Yeah, that's that's what I hear. So I'm not excited about it. I'm like just resisting. I need to, I need to make the move, but I'm just resisting. So start there. And then, and then, yeah, like go and just pull historic. I just do this month over month. If you have a meaningful amount of spend, then that should be, should be, it's kind of arbitrary on points, but at least tells you sort of directionally what's happening. So revenue and spend revenue and spend from Facebook. Yep. Yeah. Revenue and spend in GA. Yeah. Spend from Facebook revenue in GA and in Facebook. And then I just, you know, kind of create a GA row ass number basically as well. Just, you know, Google Analytics revenue over Facebook spend and go from there. And then I'm comparing that all against new customer revenue. This is the thing I was gonna say, which is that like, ultimately the sign that you're winning and kind of the only thing that matters at the end of the day is not what any dashboard tells you. What matters is that you're generating new customer revenue for your business at a level that makes sense relative to the spend. And actually, if you start trying to parse this out too deep in too much detail, this is where you get into this world of like trying to make lots of small manual changes that get you all kinds of, you know, and I, like, I just think that's a bad road to go down. That's just not going to help you the way you think it's going to help you. Like forecast your new customer revenue, hit a target, make sure that's guiding everything, hit the spend against that target. Can you unpack that a little bit more? So when you see going in, looking at a dashboard and then going, trying to make manual changes, potentially intraday or, or multiple days, what is that like? I'm very naive, so pretend I don't know anything. So yeah, no, no, no. I, it. <laughs> this is this is like I think this has become Common Thread Collective's beat, and I'm I, I'm still associated with Common Thread Collective in a, a few ways and that kind of crew. So though I'm freelancing, I'm also doing some freelancing for CTC, and I'm a partner in the, in the parent company of that company. So I definitely associate myself with that group, and I'm very joyfully so. I think they're great, smart people, and and they're awesome. So, but Taylor Holiday and and I have both I think been saying this for a while. I think it's right, which is that like. The thing that you want to constantly do as a media buyer is get out of the way. That's like the that's like the most important thing to do. As, as much as possible to let algorithms and let machine learning make decisions for you. Um, and the reason for that, and this is not intuitive to people, is that we suck at using historical data to forecast what will happen <laughs> next. We suck at it. And I'm just, dear listener, you probably suck at it. Even even though the <laughs> listeners to this show are probably in the weeds in a way that like are probably better at it than most people. But like still, it's just wild how, how bad we are at like using it because we're really bad at understanding where statistical significance happens. We have all kinds of confirmation bias and all kinds of stuff. So, so you know, the classic thing is like you, you, you launch an ad and you are really excited. You think it's going to perform great. 
and you see five purchases happen on that ad really fast. And you're like, scale it, go, go, go. Well, like five purchases tells you nothing. It tells you nothing at all about actually whether or not that is gonna work. And here's the thing, Facebook actually has like a million, and maybe that's actually not even hyperbole, a million more signals than you do to determine whether or not your ad is likely to perform. And so rather than you auto-bidding constantly and trying to make all these decisions yourself, use Facebook's built-in tools where you say, I mean, if, if you have a CPA target in your mind or a ROAS target in your mind, tell Facebook that target and say, spend as much as you can to hit that target. Now, there's one massive caveat here, which is that if Facebook is under-reporting the revenue, and it is, then you actually have to adjust your actual CPA target to the one that Facebook gives you. And this is like the concept of cost controls in Facebook, you know, bid caps and cost caps and, and min ROAS. Like we, this, we talk about this a lot. But use those cost controls to set a target and go from there. And there is a tweaking process that happens here. If let me think of an example here. Like I have a client where the CPA target is like is like ten dollars or something like that on a thirty dollar order. I think that's their that's their target. I actually set my CPA target, my my cost cap, at like sixteen dollars, not at ten dollars. And the reason for that is that there's signal loss happening, and I have determined that that basically over time gets them the number that they need to get to. And that sort of the actual CPA that they get off that is 10 bucks. So that takes some tweaking to like, to find kind of where that signal loss is. And signal loss varies in every account, depending on how many of your users have opted out and all those kinds of things. So what I do in those accounts is like, I set a budget and make sure that the way that I scale spend is like, is if I'm running through the entirety of my budget at my cost control that I want, then no problem. I either raise the budget or I lower, or I lower the the CPA target, basically. I, I want more volume or more efficiency, one or the other. And that's how I make basically every decision. And if I'm not getting enough spend, that's fantastic news. The cost controls are doing exactly what you've asked them to do, which is to not spend, not not throw good money after bad or bad money after good. That's the other way. Yeah, that's better. You do want to throw good money after bad probably. Anyway, the point is like, you know, the idea is like if Facebook doesn't think that it can get to your target, don't spend. Don't spend that money. You're, you're going to, that's unprofitable spend in some way. And so then that means you got to go back to the creative drawing board, run new ads, start over. The way that Taylor says this, and I think is really helpful is many ads will not work. You need $2 worth of ideas for every $1 of, of forecasted spend because most ads are not going to work. So, um, or not most, but a lot of ads are not going to work. So that's the way we kind of think about this. If you forecast $50,000 spend, you need $100,000 worth of ideas, basically. Um, so there you go. That is why the episode actually you had with, with Taylor on, he made the point and I was, I was joking. I was like, I'm going to clip this and just use this as our own ads. But really the, one of the main things that you need to ensure with Facebook and you can assume other channels as well is that they are receiving essentially every single data point that you can possibly send them. So Facebook can run and use their million, you know, data points, signals, et cetera, to run efficiently. Absolutely. Yeah. I think, I mean, I would say like, if there's a way to meaningfully increase the amount of data that's being passed to Facebook, and it sounds like that's what, I mean, I, we talked about this beforehand, but I am like vaguely familiar with Elevar, so I don't know, but if that's what it does, like I'm, we'll hang up and I'll get a product demo because <laughs> I think it's like, I think that's totally right. You know, like I, I think it's a really interesting proposition to figure out how to make sure that Facebook has all the information it needs so that it can optimize that for you. Yeah. How do you, how do you see this happen with other channels? So think Google ads or, or, TikTok or affiliates is pretty simple. That makes sense. But let's just talk Google ads and, and maybe TikTok when it comes to just conversion data, event data, tracking, et cetera. We'll start with Google ads since that one is probably a little bit easier. Yeah. I mean, Google ads is not an app, right? So it's like it, yeah. there's, the tracking is much better there. I think I'm, well, I'm just less worried about it. Yeah. But, but I, what I've seen the tracking when, when Google ads loses the core conversion that you might be bidding off of, 
I mean, it's like, it seems like it's hours where the account just goes chaos, where it just performance tanks. Is that what, is that an accurate uh, perception yeah. or is that what you see? I suppose I've seen some of that. And I'm thinking of search and shopping here specifically, by the way. Uh, YouTube would be probably be a different deal if people are using YouTube through the app. Yeah, search and shopping. But basically, yeah. let, let's assume that Google Ads is running. You have your primary conversion. It's been tuned properly for you know several months or years. And suddenly an issue pops up where, okay, now that conversion is either not receiving any, is only receiving 30% of conversions because you know, some change was made on site that is impacting the, the amount of data that's going to Google Ads. I guess that's where I've seen where it's just like you kind of see that slow just decline over time and that your impressions are going down. Your Basically, everything's going down except for costs, which is and, and cost per acquisition is going up. Yeah, I, I mean, that that would be logical. If you're losing signal like that, it would be the, that's exactly what, again, like if you just think about what, like if you're bidding, now that, that would change if you're bidding like CPC, right? Because CPC yeah. is not going to be affected by any of this. But yeah, um, yeah. if you're bidding for a conversion action of some kind, then for sure, um, that that's what would be happening. I think the way I would approach that would be the same way I just said for Facebook, which is like, if you have a sense of the signal loss that's happening in your Google ads, you know, maybe, maybe you're running a ton of shopping and you're seeing some some drop off there, then you just have to set your target ROAS lower and sort of make a mental adjustment. What this really comes back to is that like the source of truth is new customer revenue. It's, it's just like so crucial. Although uh, actually again, with shopping, that's a little bit trickier because you may not be able to separate out new customer and returning customer and sort of exclude past customers, especially as you move to performance max as a product, there's less ability to do some of that stuff. So, but you know, it's funny, the Google suite of tools is absolutely doing everything more all the time to get your little decision-making brain out of the way and say like, give us the creative assets. We'll do everything, everything else will allocate all of it. And it's, I'm, I'm certain that's because they believe they'll make more money that way. Not because they're trying to hide conversions and hide whatever, but because they think, We'll make bad decisions. <laughs> so, yeah. What are some of those changes in the last six to twelve months that you've seen that have, have maybe you rolled out with some of your customers that you've worked with with Google Ads specifically? Well, I mean, the, the big one is Performance Max moving. You know, running away. So, you know, the last few years of Google Ads has been, you know, there's real value to be had in Google Shopping. The the sort of heuristic we use at um, ComThread Collective has been that, like, for an e-commerce brand, about sixty five percent of your Google spend is probably shopping. Um, and that's sort of a healthy benchmark with the caveat that there are some brands that are spending significantly on YouTube prospecting that um, have found that channel to work for them. And that would kind of throw this whole thing off, but relative to the rest of your Google spend 65%. And so that's the big driver of value for e-com brands is Google shopping. And so, you know, initially like what people used to do is like with manual shopping campaigns, you could still set these up. You could do all kinds of stuff to like, you could exclude branded search from your shopping campaigns. And that way you could sort of make sure that you're getting only categorical search terms affecting his, and you sort of stack a branded versus a manual cam, a non-branded campaign. And there's like a workaround way to do that. And, and that was part of it. And then um, the move was all the smart shopping where smart shopping eliminates your ability to do any of that kind of stuff and actually starts turning your shopping ads into display remarketing ads and uses those dynamically across the internet. And all that kind of stuff. And so it's actually sort of opening up the broader suite of ad types in Google in smart shopping, right? But giving you less control over those sorts of things. Um, and if you think about what Google's doing, even with that move, right? The move was, instead of me deciding how much to allocate my budget between display and shopping, smart shopping says, get out of the way. Let me handle your display remarketing. Let me, you know, let the machine learning handle all that. And 
I think that's a win. And, you know, again, at CTC, like the head of Google at CTC is a really bright guy who's figures out. It's like, look, against every account we've ever tested this with, you get a meaning, much more meaningful revenue lift by running smart shopping, even though you have less control. Like it works, basically. It's like it, it, you have less control, but it works. Um, and then now the move is to Performance Max, right? Where it's another step in that. Smart shopping is being sunsetted and eliminated. And somebody might have, by the time they're listening to this, already had that happen in their account. And it's converting into Performance Max campaigns. And it's and then the next step. It's now turning your ads into search. It's turning it into branded search. It's turning it into non-branded search. It's doing it dynamically from your website. It's doing it video. It's YouTube. I mean, it's just like, it's just the next step in that same thing. And you know what? Like so far from my accounts that I'm seeing, it works. Like it's like, like uh, Taylor actually said on that podcast you referenced, that episode you referenced, I think it was called um, 10 Topics with Taylor, which is that Taylor and I hadn't talked for a long time uh, on the podcast. And normally we did one or two topics. Yeah, Shopify audiences, attribution. Yeah. We just ran through a list of stuff because we we normally do one or two topics and it was like, let's just do, t- let's yeah. just like roll through stuff. So, and my podcast is called the e-commerce playbook if that's uh, if that's what you want. So another, another playbook if you need another one. Yeah, anyway, Taylor kind of, Quipped there, just like performance max might be the sort of biggest money threat or not threat really, but sort of rival to, to, to Facebook ads. Maybe we'll see, but, um, you know, sort of yet to really exist, you know, TikTok's starting to see some spend increase, but it's so rare that I see somebody really meaningfully replacing Facebook's amount of TikTok spend. Um, so there's some, some volume happening there. I mean, snap's never going to have that volume, like, but Pmax may be actually something that's a rival to that. So. Forcing the hand of, all right, we're diverting a percentage of spend that we have on Facebook. We're moving it to Performance Max because we just see it performing better. And yeah, we're go either with diverting that. or adding, you know, I mean, depending yeah. on where the performance is. Yeah. So, TikTok, are you, have you done much? I mean, anything you've seen worthwhile in TikTok and analysis, performance, scale, et cetera? Yeah, to be honest with you, I haven't run a lot of TikTok myself. In fact, I haven't run any TikTok myself. So, um, I probably am not the right person to sort of weigh in on that. Except just to say that it's it's subject to all the same problems of Facebook, but has less historic pixel data and is not the TikTok pixels on way less websites on the internet. So I'm skeptical. I mean, what I can say broadly here is that in CTC's data set across 200, I think we have there's 220 stores in there tracking and less clients than that, but something like that. Like, I don't know if there's a single client whose TikTok spend has reached their Facebook spend. I, I hear stories of the occasional brand that's doing this, but um, it's just not not quite there. So we'll see. I mean, it's happening. People are spending on it. It's not like it's nothing. It's just, yeah. Well, you uh, obviously have a wealth of experience in this podcast. I try to make it very tactical, learning lessons. What are we seeing work today? Where are we seeing big issues that might be impacting? Uh, I'd love to hear your take it, whether you want to go mistakes, but what are your top X number of mistakes or top X number of things that you see brands doing really, really well today. So either or could be good or bad, that negative, positive. But when you are opening up the hood of a new a new account, new brand, assessing what's going on and uh, what are you seeing that is impacting conversion rates, new customer acquisition, retention, et cetera? Yeah, two things come to mind. The first is new customer revenue as the source of truth is really important. Like I think, I think brands need to really tie themselves to, is it generating revenue from new customers? Is that the thing we're tracking? setting targets, and then going and trying hitting those. But second, like I think there is still a temptation for a lot of people, like just because we're on the ads subject, and there's way more to e-commerce than ads, right? But um, there's still a temptation, I think, for a lot of people to just get distracted by tactics and by like trying to sort out marginal in- increases with media buying and, and, and those kinds of methods. But like 
the answer is creative. Like the answer is creative and, and offer. Like I would say those are the two core things that are going to make a difference for your brand the most. And the real challenge for a lot of e-commerce brands is like setting up the ability to generate both quality and quantity of creative in a way that is going to move the needle for your business. To really attack that problem, think really seriously about who you're trying to talk to. Think really seriously about what you are trying to say to them. What is the angle that you're trying to come in? Like that is so crucial. Um, and and really learning how to kind of develop a range of variable assets that are that are turning into creative and and doing that. Like UGC product on white. Like try everything. You know, higher quality video. Try everything you can come up with with real variance, real variability in the, in the style of ad. Um, if you want a bigger range of outcomes, you need a bigger range of inputs, right? So let there be variability in there and, and to really attack the problem that way. Um, and this is, this is not just a creative problem in terms of advertising. It's also sort of a process and management problem to solve. It's an operational problem. And I think, you know, in my experience, like the part of the challenge is like sort of making sure the right people have the right amount of time and the right access to what they need to make things happen. Like those are, those are challenges, getting your tools set up in a way that is like, makes it easy to build these kinds of things. Like, and those are their own, you know, the sort of process problems are their own set of problems there. So, so yeah, so that's what I would say is like, if you can get really, really good at generating lots, both quality and quantity, focus on both, figure out how to do that. Get, get a bunch of UGC, throw stuff at the wall, see if any of it sticks. And at the same time, put real time into developing thoughtful ads as part of the mix as well. You never know what's going to hit. And so the unpredictable. This is another area where we're very bad at predicting. I have an old joke, which is that like, and it's it's true, like that the, the more excited I am about an ad, the less likely it is to perform. So I, I've been in ads for, I've been in the sort of e-com game for a while. I started as a media buyer. I just can't even tell you like how bad I am at predicting what ads are going to resonate and win. I'm terrible at it. And everybody I've ever been around, everybody I've ever been around, they're all terrible at it. We're terrible predicting the future. So if that's true, then you want options. You want options instead of being stuck on your idea. So yeah, on the ad side, that's what I would say. Do you see more more brands starting to move that whole production in-house or is it still outsourced or agencies, et cetera? Yeah, I see both and I see both being successful. Like I think the like agency versus in-house debate is silly. It's like get the smartest, most talented people with the best knowledge on your team and and the marginal difference in cost for how much you pay them like barely matters probably. Like it's just like what really matters is that you get great people working on working on your stuff. So you can find that in different places and agencies have advantages and in-house advantages and they both have disadvantages. Uh, like I basically moved from agency to in-house when I went to Royal for 100 and, and ran our brands. And I'll tell you what, like I really lost out on institutional knowledge, even though we were directly connected to an agency. It's just so hard to stay up on what's new and what's happening and, and it's always changing so fast. So, you know. And getting those shared learnings across other brands that, totally. that you see things that they're doing totally. that's winning. Yeah, Institutional knowledge is the great advantage of an agency, right? That they have this ability mm-hmm. to, to do that. And so if you've got an agency that's actually leveraging that, you know, cataloging and leveraging it well, that's a huge, it's, it's worth paying for. It's great, you know? Yeah. A lot of the stuff that I've talked about on this show comes from that. It comes from being around agency people who are like seeing this across a lot of brands. I can validate that because we have hundreds of just gotchas and tracking of if your legacy recharge, if you're using Zipify upsell, need to do this. And, oh, Google Ads doesn't actually fire on a post-purchase upsell because it doesn't finish in 500 milliseconds. If you have using built-in one trust and it's not going to work this way and just goes on and on and on and on and on. And that's that's because you, the exposure of just getting that breadth of different clients and different totally. setups, environments, et cetera. Totally. 
Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Yeah, I, it's actually true. I think that's true with a number of software providers I've seen as well. Like, you know, you even said at the top of this with like the Enquire story, it's like what happens, Enquire develops a tool that they think is going to be used for one thing, people use it for another thing, and then it changes the way the tool gets used for a lot of different people. And and now suddenly they've got visibility that they can be helpful across a lot of different brands. So I think it's totally true in, in a lot of services and, and software both. Cool. Well, this was awesome. I think just to go back to the GA versus Facebook comparison. I think you had shared two example charts in your podcast. Are those public? Oh goodness. Uh, I think they're. I looked at them. They're probably either on that up on the show notes of that episode, or I didn't pull them down for sure. Um, or I might have tweeted them at some point. And so we could follow up. Okay. Let's try and get them into the show notes for you too. Yeah, I'll put them in the show notes. So if anyone wants to see what that analysis looks like, again, that GA versus Facebook historical comparison, you can check that out. And uh, Andrew, anything else before we uh, we wrap up? Where can people find you, get in touch with you? Yeah, uh, the best place is actually Twitter, at Andrew J. Ferris, and it's with one R, F-A-R-S. Um, and then you could reach out to me, Andrew, at ajfgrowth.com. That's uh, AJF Growth is the name for my consulting gig. Um, so you can reach out to me there. And then the e-commerce playbook podcast is probably if you yeah. <laughs> want to listen to me pontificate more. Yeah. If you're <laughs> listening to this, yeah, listen to that one. It gives you that other end. So this is obviously very heavy tracking and that yours is uh, just Much amazing tactical, uh, yeah. tips and advice. Yeah. Tactical yeah. on the, on the e-commerce side, but all right, well, that's it. See, uh, see you next time. Thanks, Thanks Andrew. Brad. Thanks. Did you enjoy today's episode? If so, we release two new episodes per week. So be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else that you subscribe and listen to your podcast. I also have a favor to ask. I'd really appreciate if you could leave a comment or review so I can learn exactly how to improve future episodes for you. And last but not least, if you want to connect with me, find me on LinkedIn by searching Brad Redding at Elevar. That's E-L-E-V-A-R. Or you can DM me on Twitter. My handle is I am Brad Redding. I look forward to connecting with you. Thanks again. 